Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. We'll take it. Wasn't the prettiest of wins, but it's three points. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the show where we discuss the world's game, but from an American perspective. I can barely say it. Uh, brought to you by Soccer America, the soccer paper of record and fundraise for you.net and a new sponsor. We have a new sponsor. It's Nella Probiotics. I actually went out and approached them uh, to be a sponsor because I've been taking probiotics for a long time and always wondered if there was a difference. And apparently there is. Uh, a friend of mine is actually a wrestler, an Olympian. He's on his way over uh, overseas for the Olympics. Telling me about this Harvard doctor who just uh, found a strain uh, that is in athletic athletes, high performing athletes called the Nella strain, and they've put it into this probiotics. And so it, they've had uh, some tremendous success with it. So all pro- probiotics are not the same. As I start taking it, I'll talk to you guys about uh, the effects and, and how it's uh, working on me. So today on OTB, we break down the U.S. men's national team's 1-0 win over El Salvador, or as the guys on ESPN pronounce, uh, ESPN pronounce it, El Salvador. Uh, and we look ahead to Sunday's game against the new regional power, Canada. Who would have thunk, gentlemen? Uh, we're also going to talk about the big vote coming up in the NCAA college soccer as colleges are trying to get the uh, men's division one uh, into a split season for really good reasons. But if the NCAA acts like they always do, they'll just try and keep things as they are. Be lucky you're even in the NCAA men's college soccer. How dare you ask for changes that positively impact the health and well-being of of your players it's not football or basketball so sit down stop making sense also on the docket this morning u.s moves with players abroad so joining sam and i on the pod very excited about this is the ncaa after i shit on the men's division two college champion as the head coach and coach of the year at cal state la uh, did a great job with the men's program there uh pretty legendary actually uh he's recently been appointed as the head uh, coach at the women's program at Loyola Marymount out here in California, a man with quite the resume coaching resume from college to MLS to youth development, just a vast amount of coaching experience across the board. Now a regular co-host on OTB, Mr. Chris Shamides. Welcome to the show, brother. How are you? I'm good, Kevin. Happy to be here. Happy to talk soccer. Happy to see you again. All right. So, so you're a pretty subdued dude, uh, the opposite of me, but so let's, let's talk about you for a little bit. Talk a little bit about what the last year has been like for you. You've been in coaching forever, but uh, man, it, it, you really hit it this year, huh? Yeah, it was a crazy year coming off of the pandemic where every college in the country did different things. Some were able to train more, some less. We were not able to train at all. Being in LA County, quote unquote, it became more difficult for us to get out there. And so you know, we all suffered, you know, we all suffered because uh, us as college coaches, uh, you know, there's tons of paperwork, which is not why we got into it. We do it for being on the field. And when you take us away from the field, we, we Jones a little bit. So we were all right. struggling. Um, but we finally got the group back on the field and slowly but surely built them up. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen before, because in 2019, we had hit the final four and got to the national championship game, but lost in the final. Uh, Always tough. And then did like a year and a half, almost two years without seeing our players at all, not training anything. So it was such a struggle. And they all came back in different ways, mentally, physically, from a fitness perspective. So we had to deal with it on a case-by-case basis and try to get everyone on the same page. And it took a little bit of time, but we, we got hitting some strides, I would say, late October, November. 
and then got on an NCAA run and, and won the whole thing. So super happy and proud. Fantastic. And I mean, to not see your players for a year and a half uh, at that age, at that young age, that is a lifetime uh, for these kids, what their experiences were, whether they're working and being with their families or whatever it was. Um, going to class, not going to class, doing everything online. It's uh, it's bizarre. It's pretty sedentary, the whole COVID thing. Everybody eating too much, you know, sitting around too much. And then you got players come back, you know, five pounds overweight or whatever, which is a lot for a college kid, I guess. But um, so talk about, you know, the, the next stage of your life. Now you're about to take over this, the, the little Marymount job, the women's program. Um, have you coached women before? Is there a big difference? Uh, do you know what to expect? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm kind of one of those guys that have, that has not had a very linear path, you know, like I haven't just been on one side of the game. Uh, I've worked in pro soccer, college soccer, the men's side, the women's side. And so, you know, I, I consider myself open to all of the different opportunities out there. And I, it, for me, it's just a personal choice. It just keeps me sharp and I like new challenges. And as much as I was at Cal State LA for quite a while, you know, I was working with both the men and the women the first first 10 years. I was head coaching both. And oh, all right. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So I had both. And then the way the conference was kind of unfolding, things just got more and more busy, more and more competitive. And there were other coaches doing the same, but we all kind of split. And so I had to kind of pick one, which was so hard. Um, but mm -hmm. at the time, I, you know, I still have had my hand in MLS all these years. So I just kind of chose the men's side because I was on the MLS side as well. It made some sense. Right. Uh, but, you know, with with us having done what we've done, I, I just simply looking for a new chapter in life. And I, I believe in taking chances. And, you know, it's not much of a chance to end up on the LMU campus. It's a beautiful place and mm -hmm. a great, great education. So I'm really looking forward to the challenges here. That's why you're, you're an East Coast kid originally from Brooklyn, New York, and Sam's from the East Coast. So uh, we envy all the soccer fields that are out here on the West Coast. It's unbelievable. I mean, playing back East in November, even in October, it just, uh, it can get tough. So it's, uh, they have an advantage out here for sure. So you're, I didn't know you coached both Zen women's for a long time. You're kind of the West Coast and St. Orange, which is a, a heck of a set of shoes to follow in, but uh, you don't see a difference in coaching? The, the men and women, is there a different approach? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I'd like to think that that I approach it the same way uh, mm -hmm. for the most part, yeah, but there's always some differences just in, in terms of how you allow the team to evolve, how you let it breathe, how they socialize, how yeah. they interact. You know, you have to allow for differences. You know, uh, the men and the women are different in terms of how they approach things, and pretty much all the dudes think they're the best player in the world, and, and my job is <laughs> tough one, they're not, and show them a different path forward, and and at the same time, on the women's side, like we have to continue to uh, push their individual achievement, you know, because they want to they want to be a part of the context of the team, which is fantastic. But we also have to have that balance of uh, finding those one v one moments and being aggressive with that mindset as well. Sure. All right. Well, good stuff. So uh, big game last night. The U.S. took a point. I guess it wasn't pretty, but uh, they got it. What were your thoughts on the game? What are you thinking before I start math? Well, sorry, they, they took three points. They oh, they took three points. Goal. I mean, they scored one goal. Uh, thank you, Sam, um, for my coffee here in the morning. Yeah, they scored a goal, uh, Anthony Robinson, who wants to be called Jetty, I guess. That's uh, that's what the name he wants. But, uh, but, boy, he had a lot of space, a lot of uh, overlapping runs. Didn't really get any services into the box that I thought were effective, but he scored a heck of a goal, put it far post. Um, but they seem to really be out of sorts a bit in the first half. What are your thoughts, Chris? You know, it's, I think it's a pretty consistent performance for what we've been seeing from this mm -hmm. team. Uh, it's a team that, 
that is so fit and so quick and so young and they can cover so much ground and they're certainly leaning on that and in right. contact, it's working so far um the question obviously will be when the bar goes up and now you're playing Germany and these other types of teams, what's sustainable, what's not. Right. So to, to get through, which by the way, I thought El Salvador is really well coached and really yeah. a really good team uh, and made the game hard for us in many ways, but you know, the, the importance of the game, there's pressure. And, and so now you have to figure out a way to get a result no matter what they've obviously checked that box. Um, you know, then there's the idea of, okay, well, what do we want to be more of? And I think this trend that we're seeing where they're skip scoring goals, not in the first half, but in the second half right. speaks to, you know, how do you get the continuity of the football to be good enough to get to execute and score goals versus just tiring a team out and finding a moment to get a goal, you know, and we're kind of yo-yoing between those two. And, and I think that's the next step in their evolution is to try to be a 90 minute dangerous team. You know, one thing you could say about the, the adjustments that are made at halftime uh, is good coaching. And you mentioned, you know, uh, there's been a lot of heat thrown Burhalter's way. Um, in fact, Hugo Perez was someone that that people wanted to be the head coach. He did a heck of a job last night. I thought El Salvador played the game that they wanted to play uh, tactically. Um for the U.S., it's been interesting to watch. You know, it was uh, Grant Wall, who's a frequent guest on our show. Um, he was talking about this whole cold field advantage that we've tried to uh, to put into play here, as Canada is doing as well. Um, I don't know if it's necessary anymore. We try to make a home field advantage, but we have some skilled players now, some highly skilled players. That that midfield is fantastic, and I think that that playing in bad conditions sometimes can can. Um, if you if you have the horses can hurt you you know with with build up but also it always seems in soccer the first 20 minutes both teams are sort of feeling each other out um you know tactically and i think el salvador did exactly what they were supposed to do if jesus ferreira had finished those goals um might have been a different story so yeah it's interesting you talk about the halftime adjustments i mean you know i can't tell you how many times in my coaching career where the game ends and someone comes to me and says wow you know what a good job with the halftime adjustments and you ended up winning in the second half mm -hmm. and i smile and i say thank you but the reality is we didn't make any halftime adjustments we just played better you know so <laughs> it's like i, I think the halftime stuff gets overrated um i i think that this idea that he's become some version of a guru um, I'm, I'm not buying that at this point, you know, I'm hopeful that it's true. I'm yeah. just not so sure what I'm seeing is coming from tactical adjustments versus just their unbelievable ability as a group to keep their foot on the pedal over 90 minutes. And then this, this team is built in that direction and that's what they're doing. And he deserves a ton of credit, Greg, for, for keeping that foot on the pedal and the players buying into that, but that's right. kind of how they're getting the results right now. I think they they have he has the horses too for the first time. I mean the amount of depth that the US men's national team has uh, currently is is pretty astounding. And one of the main one of the biggest criticisms of of coach Burhalter in the beginning was player management or mismanagement as it was seen where players didn't seem to know their roles so much and they seem to be settling into their roles a little bit more now. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's an interesting pool. It's uh, you know, there's not that that chiseled veteran in the group there's not that big player that you have to manage. There's no Ronaldo. There's no for MLS Carlos Vela. You know, you, you don't have a guy like that in the group that you have to manage. And that becomes different. He's got a very young group. There's a ton of buy-in. There's not much pushback or challenge right now. 
Um, and so they're all bought into that, but by design, they're all pretty similar in that sense and where mm -hmm. they are in their stages of their career. That makes it a lot easier to manage, to be fair. Yeah, and lots of players going overseas. You got the MLS, uh, you know, all the things that we haven't had classically, uh, he's got. So he's got different problems that he has to deal with. Um, let's let's try to break, break it down a little bit. You know, I thought it was interesting, guys. Um, Sam, I don't think you watched the game, so I won't throw this your way, but um, I thought that there were some tactical fouls there by El Salvador early on, which broke momentum, stopped counters. Uh, and it's kind of an annoying thing. And one of our other frequent guests, Greg Kenny, had uh, reached out to me about a proposed rule change. First of all, talk about tactical fouls, Chris, to explain what that is to, to some people um, you know, yeah. who might not know. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, they're in the flow of the game and the transition of the game. There's, there's times when uh, you get caught out where the other team is now on the ball and they have a, whether it's a numerical advantage or some space and they, and, and there's this sense that they're going to create a dangerous moment. So sometimes to nip that in the bud, you, you, you foul someone in order to kind of stop that momentum and cause the ball to stop and get bodies behind the ball, et cetera, et cetera. So El Salvador definitely did that in a good way. I thought they were really cagey yesterday. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, I, I thought the U.S. fouled a little bit too much. I thought some of the fouls are just like some of Dest's fouls, for example. So they're, they're just clumsy and they, I didn't think they were really smart in the moment. Dest, you know, when Dest defends, it's interesting. He so loves to go forward that when he defends, it's almost like he's pissed off. He tries to do it really quickly to to get away from the defensive end of things to get back, you know, on the offensive end, which is which is great for a player, I guess, sometimes. But God, as a defender, you always think like, boy, D up first and then everything else is a bonus after that. Yeah, it's interesting, his profile, and it's going to be interesting to see what his uh, – what his chapter is like at Barcelona, you know, yeah. that was Xavi there. How, how does that work? You know, and obviously Danny Alves is there and there's some version of a similar profile there. Um, but, you know, Danny Alves over the course of time is like a wing backer, wing back. Yeah. He's also 38, uh, Danny, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's there now. And he's at that age just to help Xavi, I, I think, establish the locker room. But at the yeah. same time, you know, the way Greg plays with the U.S., the, those guys, uh, Anthony on the left and, and Dest on the right, they're really versions of wingbacks. You yeah. know, they provide cover with the central midfield. Um, so that fits their role. But if you're just sitting in two banks of four, uh, that's probably not his forte. But that's the thing. It's like at some point the bar is going to go up. And we're going to be pinned in defensively and maybe or maybe not in CONCACAF, but uh, the World Cup, we will be at some point. And now how does this group respond in those situations to be determined? So the, the rule change that Greg can, he always comes up with these crazy ideas. Some of them are actually pretty, pretty on point. And I thought this was one, um, something to consider. Uh, because of a quick restart is almost impossible sometimes now with the player standing in front of the ball, the defensive end, which I think should be punished. It used to be a yellow card. I remember if you stood in front of the ball, when you, a player was trying to quickly restart, um, you'd get a card. Uh, and that seems to have gone away. So here's what Greg uh, texted me last night. Um, a foul that occurs in the team's defensive half can be placed and played immediately as long as it's set down behind the point of the foul. He says this would change and allow the team that is the counterattacking team that is fouled to quickly put the ball down and play, get it back into play without, without having to go to the spot of the actual foul. The, uh, the center ref would not have to stop the play. The linesman would just uh, point across the field. So what do, you, what do you think of that, guys? I think Greg should be the president of FIFA. That's a great idea. It's a great idea, right? I like it because it keeps – because, look, we're always looking to increase the flow of the game. 
to keep it moving and momentum. And we see in CONCACAF, especially in those late, late minutes of the games, all the, the tactical fouls just to stall, uh, never mind counterattacks. So, uh, so you're in so agreement, yeah. gentlemen. But you know what? The downside obviously would be like, we're, yes, place the ball behind the spot. But if you place the ball dramatically to the left or to the right, you can create advantages. And that's right. probably not in the spirit of the situation. I, I guess you could say, hey, if you tactically foul, then you get what you get. But uh, th- there's going to be, that's pretty loosey-goosey. I don't know if they'd be able to sell that one, but it's an interesting idea. I love the idea for the flow part. Sam? Yeah, I mean, another, I don't mind that. Another rule that's been put forward, you know, I've heard talked about in FIFA and other places is just that a player who is fouled can just get up and play the ball to themselves, basically just keep dribbling, uh, which I think would be pretty interesting too. Also, because it would, you know, hopefully limit, you know, the amount of rolling around and kind of overacting after fouls, encourage people to kind of keep playing the way keep it playing in basketball where, you know, you get rewarded for fighting through a foul. Right. I like I like this change because it's uh, I mean, you can't put the ball ahead of the foul. But I think you're talking about, Chris, if you say left or right of where the foul is, how far can they actually make? They, they can't pass the ball so people can recover. I mean, it's not like you can throw it you know, like Gaelic football 10 yards oh. behind and to the right or to the left to start it there. It would have to be in the area of the of the foul, obviously, because there's no precise stuff with soccer. Uh, yeah. Just just not ahead. I'm thinking outside the box of those moments where like there's a foul slash side uh, slide tackle and the ball is hit 20 yards away, you know, and now the player's on the ground, but a teammate has recovered the ball 20 yards away. And can that person now play forward right from that spot? You know, right. Yeah. I mean, what did you think about the the midfield, this big MMA uh, that everyone's uh, been talking about? And McKenny seems wonderful. Um, yeah, you can't keep track of the guy. He's uh, he's everywhere. Little inconsistent guy. sometimes. I think he was a little cocky, maybe. Uh, but I like it. He's got a swagger to him, man. Yeah, no, we the swagger I love, and I love the personality, and I love how much he covers the ground. I think, it, you know, he's he's all over. He's a number ten. He's sitting behind yeah. his backs. He's you know kind of making three in the back when Dest goes forward all the time. Yeah, he's all over the place. Um, it, there's pros and cons to that, obviously, you know, it's not exactly positional play, uh, but I think they will dial that in over time. I think those three are likely the answer. Um, Tyler Adams, uh, you know, I've watched him play when he was just coming up with the Red Bulls. I went to go, uh, when, when Jesse Marsh was, uh, the manager there, I went to visit and watch training and, and, and had a situation where he was only what, 15, 16 at the time training with them. And had lunch with Manny Shellshite and Chris Ormus, and they asked, which player did you like the most? And I said, the young boy, and it turned out to be Tyler Adams. And my goodness, how far he's come. And I think he is just a staple in that midfield. But the mobility of those three, that's uh, unbelievable. Like, not a midfield in the world that's going to be more mobile necessarily. But now the football part and the continuity, if they could dial that in, that's really going to help this team. Yeah, Grant, Grant Wall calls uh, says Tyler Adams is like a triathlete. I mean, he's he's all over the place as well, uh, as much as McKenny was last night. He's also very smart uh, with with uh, angles and cutting things down and, and eliminating things before they have a chance to develop. Um, Sam, at Roma, um, I mean, Juventus, McKenny plays a similar role, doesn't he? They played him kind of everywhere. Two different yeah. coaches, too. Yeah, um, he he has been a little bit all over the place. Uh, he's sort of been, you know, what they call like a wild card in Italy, basically a utility man that can play in any position. Um, it's been a little more consistent recently. He's played further up the field, whether on the right or left side. 
Um, so I, I, I do like that he's getting that consistency just because it means he's in the lineup more regularly, but um, he does cover a lot of ground. Um, it's not as pronounced right now uh, because Max Allegri is back as the coach and he's a little more structured in terms of his defending. Um, with Pirlo, everybody was kind of all over the place, um, <laughs> but but he still does play in different positions. So he's still getting that exposure to the different roles. All right. So um, and then Musa, I thought... Yeah, I've been so impressed with him. Uh, he's he's got that Velcro touch with his foot on the ball. It's it's amazing. Plays himself out of trouble, uh, buys the midfield, and and you know uh, a lot of time. Um, seemed a little off. Half uh, kind of came around the second half. Chris, what was your read on that? Uh, seemed didn't have many options first half. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think the shape of El Salvador made things kind of difficult because when we didn't go forward right away, and I think Greg spoke to this at halftime that they wanted to go forward a little bit quicker earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, when they don't go forward right away then all of a sudden you know that midfield gets a little bit crowded and then finding space becomes a little bit more difficult um in the second half games tend to get a little bit more transitional and that's when the u.s shows better and that's when their midfield shows a little bit better um but yeah he's having a little bit of a hard time you know i think the three of them are still you you gotta remember it's an international team it's not a club team so it's not like they're training every day together right so there's some continuity that just needs to be developed and evolved and you can tell that if these are the three, they are now on the clock for the World Cup to see right. how far they can get between now and Qatar. And stay healthy, you know. So um, Anthony Robinson seemed to have a ton of space last night uh, to move forward, and he took it. He, he you know, he went in. I, I wasn't happy with his services, as I said earlier, um, but, you know, he finished, he finished that goal well. What's creating that space for him, Chris? Uh, he's the fastest guy on the planet, I think. <laughs> he's got wheels. Unbelievable in terms of the amount of ground he can cover, both his quickness and his speed. He's not. It's weird because it's not necessarily fully coordinated all the time. You know, right. I, I, I wonder if he has another level at the club or has he hit his threshold at the club because just athletically and coordination-wise, he has these awkward moments. Which, it gets over skis a little bit sometimes. Yeah, it scares me in the defensive third. Um, but right. clearly in open spaces, he can just create space by just covering the ground and, and, and breaking away from guys and separating. So he's very impactful in that sense. Um, the delivery of his final ball, of course, is an issue. And his 1v1 defending can be an issue with his positioning. Uh, but he gets away with it all with all the you know coverage Speed. of ground that he has. Yeah. It's like Yedlin. Yedlin needs to get caught out of position and you get to recover because he had such uh, such great speed. Um, what are your thoughts on Walker Zimmerman? I've been a big fan and I thought, uh, I think he's pretty consistent. He doesn't seem to lose a, anything in the air. Yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've been attached to LAFC from the beginning. I've, I've consulted with them and we had Walker there for a while. And, uh, you know, he's a really good citizen, like works real hard on and off the field. And I think he's put himself in a really good position where he's maximizing his potential. And he... He brings some uh, game model to this, the way Greg wants to play that he's touched on both in Nashville and LAFC. So it's a pretty good fit in that sense. He's really strong in the air, relatively simple passer. Um, You know, when the wing backs or outside backs get caught up in transition, Walker's going to have to come out wide into some open spaces, which is something that he's done at LAFC before. So he's somewhat familiar with it. How he does against the best of the best is going to be interesting uh, again at the World Cup. But right. at this level, he's for sure covering all the bases. Uh, Pulisic struggled last night. 
Um, a lot of term tumults going on over in Chelsea. Um, you know, one thing I was talking about to people about with, with players, players need confidence. And it seems like sometimes the fan base doesn't understand the players. A player player's ability has a certain ebb and flow, whether you're talking a messy or you're, you're talking a high school kid that you're teaching. It's like confidence being in a streak, being in a, in a good place. Uh, there's a lot of variables to putting a player in a good place. And it seemed like, uh, I, I think just trying to put yourself in Christian Pulisic's uh, mental state there last night, all the tumult going on in Chelsea comes over. He must be so excited to play with his buddies, his, his teammates for years now with the uh, under twenties and the national team. Um, it seems like the tendency for a player like Pulisic in that position is to, to come to this and try to do too much. And it seemed like a little bit of that last night was, was happening. Do you agree? Yeah, it's interesting. Cause he's uh you know, there's always this question with players, you know, how much of the water do you need to carry? And, and when he's at Chelsea, he just has to do his little part. You know, right. there's a bunch of guys out there who can do their part and arguably better. Um, right. with, with the U.S. national team, he's expected to do more. And he's trying to figure that out. You know, I think that whole team is trying to figure that out. You know, and right. he wants to do more. He wants to take, you can tell that he wants to put some stuff on his shoulders. And I appreciate that. Yeah. How that plays out, you know, is not all him and not all his fault. You can tell he's trying to push the game, but he's trying to also fit into a group that how do we all play? And, and that's, I think one of the things that is a question mark with this team is like, what are they trying to do? Like, how are they trying to score goals? I think that is mm -hmm. a, a question, you know, that they may have an answer on the inside, but us as viewers, we don't always have that answer. And I think that's why Christian struggles a little bit at times. So, you know, your background in the MLS, uh, in MLS, Jesus Ferreira, I wasn't, I was I thought he did pretty well. And if he had finished one or those two opportunities, I think we would have a different conversation this morning. Cause I thought he, he showed well, he laid some balls off. Uh, he worked hard, uh, checked back. So I, you know, what are your thoughts there? I mean, really well intentioned. I, I liked a lot of what he did. I think it's easy to criticize the, the chance or two that he missed. Um, but at the same time, if he's getting one of those in, we're not having this conversation and we're feeling like, Oh, he scored a goal in his, in his uh, one of his important debuts. So, you know, I, I like what he brings to the table. Is he going to be the answer in Qatar to be determined? I don't know if we have that person in our pool. Um, right. But I think he, you know, a lot was made in terms of just talking content about, you know, Pepe or him. I think that's all over-exaggerated. They're clearly just rotating players. And I think this was a chance for him to get a big game under his belt. And I think he did relatively yeah. well with it. One thing I love about Burhalter is that he doesn't respond to any of these social media bullshit pressure that's out there it sort of does his own thing so he's made some decisions that have not been popular but you know what he's the coach you know you you, you make it happen that way timothy way i thought was uh was dangerous um he's got those wheels i mean we have this team uh, and speed kills so you know and he, you know to go back to Polisic, your thoughts on Polisic, it it seems like uh there are more weapons around him now than than he's ever had before and so i think the thought process has to be like yeah, disperse the responsibility a little bit with everybody playing their role and your time comes uh, to just finish when when it, when it your chance is there. So the uh, way, because um, I'm a big Brendan Aronson fan, uh, Jordan Morris as well. Those two guys didn't really get much of a look last night. They didn't get many opportunities, um, but uh, both good players. 
Yeah, I mean, going back to way, I, you know, I, I always like him. I think the U.S. is better when he's out there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't love how he was used yesterday. I felt that, you know, a lot of what they were doing was him running what we would call like inside out, you know, towards the corners. And, and I don't think that suits him. I'd love to see him on the run outside in. Outside in, yeah. That being a little bit more dangerous that way. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't know if he was really played to his strengths yesterday, but he's got such pace. And then there's the key moment for him in the box where, you know, he gets his shot blocked and, and okay, maybe the first touch isn't what he wanted, but man, that's why they pay the big bucks. Like if he can do that in one, two touches and be clinical, it's a goal. And he, well, yeah, you don't get the second touch and he took a second touch. And I think that killed him, especially at that level. So uh, what, what are your thoughts about um, again, about the field condition? Do you, do you think that we should be playing in Florida, California, Arizona, as opposed to these cold weather things? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, play at Azteca. It's terrible. The, the altitude and they take advantage. And I think we were looking for an advantage. I just don't know if this is the one anymore. Yeah, it's a conversation. I agree because it's, you know, look, if you open the textbook, the textbook says if you are inferior, muddy the field, have the grass tall, all those little silly tricks. Yeah. Right. And, and are we, the question is, are we doing that to ourselves? If we are the superior opponent, we should not be doing that to ourselves. Right. But then there's this other side to it, which is like it's almost become cultural. And this is where I think the national team has to figure out what, who they want to be mm-hmm. and how they want to proceed. Like, do we want to be Dosa Zero in Columbus and, and build on that culture? Okay, yeah, then this is checking that box. But at one point, to become a little bit more purist and a little bit more, well, from a soccer perspective, it's better for us to not do this, so therefore we won't. So it's an interesting question. Right. Well, I know when we used to play Mexico, we were outskilled for sure. And so you're just trying to hang on and park the bus and see what happens. But it does not seem to be the reality um, anymore. So um, Canada, man. Uh, you know, when I was in college back in the eighties, they were producing some great players. I played with a guy named Tasso Kazukas, who was an all American, went on to play for the Chicago sting, a Greek Canadian. And he would tell me about the amazing infrastructure they had there for Italian teams, Greek teams, German teams. Um, they called it that rich mosaic, but it seemed like through the nineties, Canada sort of really slipped. And now <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Cause we have competition to the North and to the South now. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on Canada? What's been the big difference? Is it this coach? Yeah, I mean, it's the best Canadian team I've ever seen. And I, I, I kind of had an instinct going into qualifying that they would be where they are. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a combination of it's a good generation of players that have come through. If they've been fortunate with, you know, Alfonso and a few of these individuals that are really popping and showing on the world stage with Byron, et cetera. Um, but in addition to that, they have great depth now. You know, I mean, yeah. Mark Anthony K can't always get a game, and he's a pro- he's a pretty regular LA. Uh, what I mean by regular, I mean a consistent player in MLS. Yeah, and if that's a sign of where their pool is, you know, so they've got great diversity in the group, and the coaches come over, and yeah, I like the edge that he brings. He's done a good job with this group. Yeah, he, the, he's turned them into fighters. They they don't give up any ground easily. That's for sure. But you know, this is the whole thing with MLS. It has strengthened our neighbors to the north and south as far as even in qualifying. It's like they've got a place to play, which is, uh, you know, healthy competition at the end of the day. So I'm very, uh, very happy. Um, I was actually I was hosting a television show up and we were shooting in Canada in Toronto. And it was the year that the U.S. hockey team won the World Cup up there. And I'm sitting with a bunch of Canadians. (laughs) My God. And you would have thought that, uh, Jesus, uh, God, uh, that I had done the worst thing in the world because i was cheering for the u.s obviously and they were like you gotta leave you gotta leave the room because we're gonna fucking kill you man <laughs> no way eh? 
so no so uh yeah so we've had some success in hockey so they're having it in soccer now so um so it's all all good stuff um want to talk about this is something sam and i talk about all the time which is basically to switch to the ncaa here and with what's going on um my fear is that um that it's gonna skip you know a lot of players are already skipping college to go to try and go pros or development leagues um this big april vote where the ncaa is trying to split um not the ncaa but the coaches are trying to split it into two seasons so they seem to have momentum the first time around uh it was two years ago um then it got tabled because of COVID 19. Uh, they're calling it now the 20th 21st century model um and the, the as i said the votes in april um with the council meeting so they have a new um head of the committee a new chairperson he's the uh, north carolina head coach uh, carlos simono do you know him I don't know him personally, but I've seen his uh, assistance on the recruiting trail many times. Yeah, but so they had momentum in the Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12 were all for the legislation. But I, I, I always get worried because the NCAA just changes so slowly. They don't want to change. They want to keep everything the way it is. It's like, uh, it's like, you, like your grandpa, for God's sakes. He just doesn't remember these kids today with their long hair and their rock and roll. Um, I'm afraid that if they don't, do this uh it, it first of all it's better for the players uh physical well-being and also for their academic uh well-being mid midweek games and a weekend game what are, what are your thoughts yeah i mean look this is we're playing under the same schedule that we played in in the 1950s yeah so right. it's, uh, it's pretty archaic we're playing two games a week plus travel plus academics it's it's a strain and and i appreciate what what Sarovsky and, and, and everyone has done in terms of leaning on the student welfare aspect of it. Cause that's yeah. Mazur, Dave Mazur and, and yeah. Mike Noonan. Yeah. yeah. That's the way to get it over the line is to mm-hmm. convince the presidents and the ADs that this is the path that you need to do. The problem with the, the NCAA in terms of soccer development is that that's not their mission. Their mission is not to develop professional soccer players. Their mission right. is a membership, the NCAA, and they're to provide equal opportunity and participation. Nothing to mm-hmm. say about developing pros. Now, in basketball and football, it's the perfect minor league system, quote unquote, to create players. But in our sport, it's not. And so what the advanced players at youth ages are doing is looking at the option of skipping it for all the reasons that, you know, we, we need to play more and, and then we have too much starting and stopping that's going on. So at the end of the day, it's a financial decision of the presidents and the athletic directors to figure out if they can, from a facility point of view, and from a staffing point of view, support a different season. Yeah, because like the, the inside of a college athletic department, you let's say, let's say our trainer, for example, he or she would be with us in the fall and with a different sport in the spring. Right. So now if we're doing both, uh, that that strains that. Yeah. And then that's just the trainer. There's multiple people doing split duty that way. So that's what they're all being, that's all what's being looked at to see if they can figure out a way to make that work. And then there's also the the precedent that they're probably fearful to set because if soccer wants to do that, what about other sports? You know, so it, it, right. it, it's a very complicated situation. In and of itself, it's a no-brainer for the development of soccer players. But, but how about how about the health and athletically? I mean, I think that's that's what the NCAA is concerned about the uh, the welfare of the student athlete. And so I wasn't uh, a student, but I was an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know, it's it's sort of um, a midweek game traveling to Boston, two and a half hours from 
you know, from it's UMass. It's not really debatable. It's very clearly an issue. So now the question is, how do you pull it off? And that's what right. the presidents and the ADs have at their lap, is how do we make this happen? And how do we fit it into the grand structure of how we've been operating an entire athletic department? So, you know, it's interesting. I was, you know, I've, I've not been involved with the youth level. As you know, you've been soup to nuts there with the, with the coaching. But um, I was surprised there was an All-American uh, player uh, from my hometown and tried to get him recruited to a co- top college. And the coaches weren't really interested because he was not playing in, with a, a development uh, club, a club team, a, a big club team, prestigious club team. They said like, they weren't even looking at high school players. And my fear is that that's what we're going to do again. You know, uh, just skip college players and just say, oh yeah, it's, uh, and England does that a little bit, right? I mean, England has the, the apprentice programs where they go on early and then, you know, other guys go to college and they play in, you know, what their, their secondary schools there. Yeah. I think the difference between, you know, like when I was coming up and when players are coming up now, there's just so much more opportunity. There's so yeah. much more uh, soccer on television. There's so many more teams. You don't have to go like literally when I graduated, there was no MLS. So I either had to be good enough for the national team or, you know, maybe play indoor or whatever. So right. it's really hard. Uh, Talking about my play. career. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, you know, nowadays you can work your way up. You can keep playing after college and, and go through the USL ranks, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Make it. And some players have, but the other side of it is you're now having young players and families being presented with the tough choice of potentially skipping college and, and education, which is a huge part of our culture here in order to pursue a small chance of making it as a pro, it's really difficult for families to make that choice because there's no guarantee. All right, let's take a vote here. Sam, do you think it's going to pass this new legislation? I, I have one question first for Chris, which is, does this also involve uh, women's D1 soccer? Or are we only talking about the men here? Right now, it's only on the table for the men's side. Uh, typically, the way the NCAA rolls. And well, let me say this. It was pitched to both. I think because the men's side had been thinking about it longer and there was more traction there, they have gotten more positive votes for it. The women are catching up to that right now just because they're kind of looking at the topic uh, a little bit more with fresh eyes. But ultimately, if it passes for one, it most likely will pass for both in the course of time. Yeah, I was under the impression they didn't they didn't want it. Uh, And they did. They're about to go on strike, too, in the NWSL, um, which should be interesting so um so i I think it i think it's gonna pass i'm gonna be positive here yeah yeah i hope so Um, and i uh i think it's gonna pass i don't think it's gonna be the sort of landscape shifter that we hope it'll be though i I still think more people will choose the academy route um but overall it will improve the level of college soccer no unquestionably Absolutely. So, uh, all right, guys, let's uh, let's get close to wrapping it up here. I just want to talk about some of the moves that are being made. I think this is great news. Matt Turner heading to Arsenal. Sam, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's cool to see. I mean, I if I'm ignorant about MLS, I'm even more ignorant about the Premier League. So I, I don't know what the setup is at Arsenal, <laughs> what it's going to look like. My worry is like Zach Steffen, he, you know, he plays in what, whatever the third tier Carabao Cup, Cup. Is, yeah. has a different sponsor every year. Uh, and he trains with great players. Maybe he improves, but you know, without that sort of game sharpness, I I don't know. I worry a little bit. He um he's a better shot stopper than than Zach Steffen, isn't he, uh, Chris? I don't know if I'd say that. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I don't know if I'd say that. I mean, both guys are so good. It's hard to split the 
the difference there to say who's let's say a number one and a number two i think the u.s is lucky to have them both yeah i totally agree with sam it's like that age-old question of how high do you go up the ladder and the higher you go the less likely you are to play and you know of course you know it's a great opportunity to grab a premier league paycheck and to to hit that stage so i understand his choice um but hopefully he can get games at that level we've been pretty good at exporting goalkeepers yeah yeah we were hoping that you know he can gain some traction there and if he gets to play that'd be phenomenal for our national team um but yeah we don't want all of our best keepers you know sitting the bench in europe that doesn't make sense yeah and we used to produce a lot more it seems so uh my worry about matt is his physical makeup where stefan seems durable even though his recent uh spate of injuries hasn't really played that out but um it's a physical league and uh he's a bit slight it seems um so i don't know durable what do you mean by that he's what what do you mean he seems durable uh who's Stefan? yeah he's big he's thick like Ah. you know i talk about on the show sometimes my worry for pulisic he's thinly built he's wiry and that's why he's so good but it Sometimes you can't sustain injuries as well uh, or avoid injuries as well. You look at Messi. He's built like a Barry Sanders. You can whack him all you want, and they do. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's like the little weeble that keeps on going. So, yeah. um, you know, these guys, these long sort of wiry guys always seem to have hamstring problems, you know. Uh, so I don't know. So I, I, I really – and I thought um, Matt Turner did well distribution-wise last night. He was calm on the ball. I think a, a modern-day keeper has to have that. So, um, so I, I think he might do quite well there. And it should be interesting if there's a, there's a real goalkeeper duel, if one's playing in, in the Premier League and one's not. That's going to be the really deciding factor. It's certainly what, what you talk about with the, um, with the field players. So then Daryl DK, he's out for eight weeks. He was hurt, and he was a big part. Um, he's only 21. Um, he picked up an injury in West Brom's three nil win over, uh, Peterborough on Saturday. So it's, uh, what are your thoughts on him? He's a, he's a good player. Could be great. Yeah. I mean, the potential is there, isn't it? He, I, he, you know, he's, he's got this physical presence that I think as center backs, you, you don't want to deal with a guy like that. Right. Because <laughs> no. if be consistently dangerous, then it's going to wear you down over the course of 90 minutes. But like going back to what you're saying about, Aronson last night, it was very clear that when he came on, we became a little bit more dynamic in terms of getting in behind the El Salvador defense. And I think if DK can do that consistently, then, you know, wow, what a handful that would be, you know? So it's a potential upgrade for us, but he has some more development. He has to do before he can actually lock that down. Right. All right. Well, good stuff, guys. A lot to go on. We have Canada coming up on Sunday, a big game, the ice bowl up there. Um, Sam, you going to watch that one? Yeah, give it a look. <laughs> give it a look. Yeah, pry himself away from Syria. Ah, um, Chris, uh, they're playing without some of their better players, Canada, which I always don't, you know, don't like to see. Um, but what are, you, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I don't think it's going to matter too much. I mean, obviously, they want to be have everyone together. But, I mean, it's developed into a derby of sorts, which is kind of right. Right. Because we always think U.S. Mexico. But in my mind, this is uh, also a derby. And, and I think it's going to be the kind of game where, you know, that flag gets put into the ground. So it's going to be, I think, entertaining and fun to watch. And uh, I, I mean, in my mind, it's a close game. But wow, if someone were to break out and have a three nothing or something like that, that other that other team is going to be licking their wounds in many ways. 
Yeah, well, they're both in the top of the table, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think it's on ESPN uh, again. The show, the game. Um, I thought Taylor, poor Taylor, man. I I love Taylor. Good, good dude. Really knowledgeable. He just keeps talking. He just keeps talking. I want the guy to go, Shh, Taylor. There's some action in the def- in the attacking third of the field. Let's watch this game that we're watching now. Um, and then, you know, you'll, you'll learn this, uh, say I'm sick of it, but I just get so annoyed when they just say El Salvador, it's like, I don't get it. It's El Salvador. We're speaking English right now. Relax guys. Take it easy. Don't, don't show off. So and extra R never killed anyone. Uh, Siri, what's going on this weekend, Sam? Uh, well, actually they're, they're on break. They're too, off right, right now for, for the, the international break. So I don't have the excuse of having a study game to watch on Sunday. So you, so I'll, you I'll, have I'll to give it a look. I'll give it a look. Well, I mean, Canada is interesting. They play very English style, I think, uh, you know, kind of a route one thing. And their coach is English, too. So um, this is something in America we've always tried to avoid. Uh, I think just, you know, Americans were like, yeah, they're great athletes. They run fast. They're strong. It's like, shut up. We want to play the game that we play it. So, um, all right. So we got our weekend set. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us on uh, on Over the Ball, the new co-host. We're happy to have you on here. Talk soccer. Um, and this Unfortunately, Sam is your last is your last show. Talk know, about one in, one out. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, thank you for everything over the last few years, and um, it's it's been a great time. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have you know something big and cool to reveal. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but I'm just I've started working again full time, and uh, I just don't have the time right now to be able to you know put everything I'd, I'd like to into the show. So. You know, it's amazing. You look at your resume, your CV, and it's, um, you know, you got your master's degree. You can speak Italian fluently. You follow Syria. Uh, you've done uh, written articles over there, done broadcasting over there. And yet here you are, a young American guy, uh, can't get a sniff, uh, even the uh, production. I think CBS, who does Syria right now? Who's, yeah, who's CBS. I mean, you know, maybe they listen to the podcast where I talked about <laughs> canceling my subscription because the coverage was so bad. And that's why I didn't get the gig. <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. I don't know. But um, you would think that you'd be able to get something because I, I am always. I got my money back. So that was that was something sort of like a little money. paycheck. Yeah. Chris, you missed this. He complained about the coverage. So he canceled the subscription. So uh, Ted <laughs> Priestley, I don't know if you know, Ted. Um, I do. Yeah, Ted, Ted with fundraiser, uh, fundraise for you.net. He uh, he sponsors um, Sam's subscription. I was going to say prescription, which you probably need one of those too, but his subscription <laughs> to to, uh, I, to Paramount I did, Plus. So I did a coaching license with Ted back in the day. So uh, we just reconnected recently. So yeah, yeah he's a, listen, course, yeah. Hey, if he's sponsoring uh, subscriptions or prescriptions for that matter, either yeah, yeah, let's line up. Yeah, I could use some Ambien, Ted. Yeah, help me out. Uh, Sam, man, I've, I've so enjoyed getting to know you and, uh, and your, your perspective. You've been the, the curmudgeon many times on the show, which I always just think is so much, so much fun. Uh, he has a pessimistic view. He's like, we're doomed, Gulliver. We're doomed. Uh, but I love it. And his uh, soccer knowledge has just been wonderful for me to, to listen to and your insights and your thoughts. More the intellect as opposed to the dick joke telling <laughs> comedian that I am. So, uh, Sam, thanks for everything you've done for the show. And uh, please come back whenever you want to talk about Syria ah, or whatever tickles your fancy. Um, we'd love to hear from you. All right. Yeah, sounds great. And likewise, thanks. Uh, thanks to you for everything. You got it. So, uh, all right, everybody, that's all the time we have today for Chris Chamides and Sam Griswold. I'm Kevin Flynn. And we'll talk to you next time, everyone, on Over the Ball.